0: Good morning, village. Let's find our seats. We're going to start with a little video that talks a little bit about moms and some of the biblical verses about moms. And some of these are from Proverbs 31 and other Proverbs. But moms, we want to honor you. And I just love this video to remind us of what God's Word says about moms. Um, that's just a few things moms do, right? And, and so you see some of the teaching that mom does and caring for the needy and working hard. And, and all those things are true. But if, if we were to put that more in, in common language, moms have a lot of jobs, right? Moms are, are the Uber driver of the family often, um, the chef of the family, the, the cleaning crew of the family. Um, but this morning I was thinking through as I was coming to our text today, Moms sometimes are the arbitration department of the family, especially if you have two sons or two daughters. Um, sometimes there can be a disagreement between them. Rarely, I know, but um, but sometimes that can happen where there's a disagreement and kids are going at it. And mom usually is the one, or dad, but, but today's Mother's Day. Moms will often step in and try to figure it out, right? And, and you're trying to figure out who's right and who's wrong and and you look at little Billy and they're like, what happened? And he's like, it wasn't my fault. He hit me back first. And then you're thinking that through you're like, oh, okay. Yeah, I know what, what, we're, what we're doing here. But moms, you have to, to take a lot of wisdom to do that, right? Just real quickly for the moms in the room, what are some of your, your quick tips on how to arbitrate conflict in the family between your kids? Separate them. Yeah. You go to Oregon, you go, no. Uh, <laughs> okay, separate them. Stay calm. stay calm, because if you don't stay calm, it's just going to escalate. Gonna escalate. That, that's words of wisdom. Okay, if possible, teach them how to resolve it before coming to you. I'm assuming not with violence. <laughs> with words, thank you. <laughs> Tell dad. <laughs> I, I can remember mom saying, you know what, we're going to deal with this when your father gets home. I was shaking in my boots at that point. <laughs> that, 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 that cured it right away. One or two more. Forgive each other and pray afterwards. Great advice. Because then you're trying to reconcile and not have it stick with them and, and, and create enmity between them. One more. has to be moms. <laughs> Love, them no what. Love them no matter what. Amen. Moms are, are great at that and amazing at that. Moms, the, those are just great advice. And maybe Paul and Barnabas could have heard some of that advice as we come to our text today. And we, we come to a text that I find very refreshing that it's in there. That the Holy Spirit chose to put a text where the heroes of our story disagree, and have a conflict. And we actually aren't quite sure how this ended today. Right? We, we know how it, how it ended in action, but we're not sure how it ended between them until much later time. And so if you remember where we're at in Acts, and we're just going to keep going through Acts today, we just saw Paul and Barnabas finish their first missionary journey. And it was an amazing success from the standpoint of the gospel. From the standpoint of safety and not being stoned, not so much. But um, from the standpoint of the Gospel, an amazing success. And then they come back, and then we had some of the Judaizers coming in and saying, you've got to become a Jew to be a Christian. You've got to be circumcised. You've got to keep the law. And we saw the church resolve that conflict, a much broader conflict. And so Paul and Barnabas went with Silas and, and some other men, and they went up to Antioch, and they gave this judgment, and people rejoiced. The Gentiles were pleased because they were accepted into the church without having to do X, Y, and Z. They just had to follow God's moral law and God's commands. And so then we come to our text today, and we're in Acts chapter 15, and we're going to be looking at verses 36 through 41. Acts chapter 15, 36 through 41, and it's just a few verses. And so what I want to do is talk through the story, look at the verses, look at what happened and then we'll glean just some quick lessons about conflict and about how we should handle disagreement in the church. And so in Acts chapter 15, 36-41, I'm going to read the whole passage, and then we'll break it down. And after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. Now Barnabas wanted to take with them John called Mark, a little bit troubling, but a little bit informative, it's real. And, and that's, again, what I appreciate, appreciate about God's Word, is it gives us the real stories that actually happened, and we get, we get the, the heroes of the faith warts and all, because who of us doesn't need grace? and Who of us aren't sinners? And so we can break this text really into to three different phases the first in verse 36, Paul and Barnabas agreed on the ministry goal to revisit and check up on the churches. And so, so Paul comes to Barnabas and he goes, I have this idea. And he's probably getting a little itchy feet and wanting to go and get back out and share the gospel because that's what he's all about. But we also see Paul's heart beyond evangelism to discipleship, right? Because he wants to go back to the churches and see how they're doing. Make sure they're strong in the faith. Make sure the church is growing and staying true to God's Word. And so he says, let's return, visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the Word of the Lord and see how they are. So we would like to retrace his steps from the first missionary journey. This is a great idea. And this is an idea that is from God. This this mission, this ministry goal, is from God, and so they're going to go back and strengthen and correct. And it's interesting because a number of the churches are in the Galatia region, and we know from the Book of Galatians there are some corrections that had to happen. And so, so Paul wants to go back and make sure things are going well, and we see Paul's care for the church. And we see Barnabas's care for the church, because Barnabas is on board. We I know we jump to the disagreement, but we know right away from, from verse thirty seven Barnabas is ready to go too. And they're making plans, and this issue comes up because Barnabas says, Let's take John Mark again. And Paul says, Not on your life. Maybe I, I'm I'm you know putting in my own words a little bit. And so thirty seven through thirty-nine, this conflict arises overtaking John Mark. Now we have to remember a few weeks ago, and and you could even turn there, Acts 13.13. When they started on the first missionary journey, they went to Cyprus and they went throughout Cyprus, which was the home of Barnabas. Now we can by inference say that this was probably the home of John Mark too, since they were cousins, or at least there was family there. This, this This was familiar territory. And in Acts 13, 13, we read, Now Paul and his companions set sail from Paphos and came to Perga in Pamphylia. That's all on the the, um, island of Cyprus. And John left them and returned to Jerusalem. Now we don't know the reasons why John Mark left. But in Paul's mind, we have this mission. We have this work to do. John Mark abandoned us. For whatever reason, and maybe he was homesick, Maybe he was nervous about going to the Gentiles. Maybe a missions trip wasn't all that it was cracked up to be to him. We don't know. But to Paul, and we can infer from this, it seems to be less than honorable reasons. Uh, it, It wasn't like a death in the family or something like that. It was less than honorable to Paul, and he felt deserted. John Mark didn't finish what he started. And so that led to this disagreement It's okay to use the word argument here because it's a strong disagreement, something with strong words um, uh, provoking, a stirring up. In fact, the word disagreement there was used twice in the Greek Old Testament, both times for the furious anger of God. So this is not a light word like, oh, you know, he wanted Taco Bell and I wanted Del Taco. This is a serious disagreement with anger and provoking and stirring up. And so we, we, we see this in these verses, in verse 37. Now Barnabas wanted to take with them John called Mark. We don't get a lot more of, of Barnabas' perspective, but we can, we, we know Barnabas a little bit. Do you remember his nickname, what Barnabas means? Son of encouragement, right? And so his personality is going to default to seeing the best in people, to encouraging people and wanting to bring them along. And so his idea is, let's give him another chance. He's, he's probably grown a little bit since then. We should show grace and encourage others as we bring them along. There's probably a little bit of family ties here. This is his cousin. And so this is who Barnabas was. Is Barnabas wrong? Trick question. Is how God made Barnabas wrong? No, he's an encourager and and we need that voice in the church. We need people that are going to encourage and show grace and give second chances. And so that's Barnabas' perspective. We get to Paul's perspective in 38. And now, now Paul's coming from a different perspective. Barnabas is about showing grace to his cousin. Paul is about the mission. Paul is what will help this missionary journey go the best. How can we ensure the most people hear the gospel? And so in 38, but Paul thought it best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia or deserted them and had not gone with them to the work. And so Paul's perspective is the work of God is the main thing. It must not be hindered in any way. Is Paul wrong? Is it? I mean, or should he sacrifice God's work? Now, we can understand from his perspective where he's coming from, and that's not wrong either, because when we're doing God's work, we should stop any hindrance to God's work. And so what we have here is a situation through verse 38 and then 39, and there arose a sharp disagreement so that they separated from each other. And so we have this sharp disagreement, and the argument isn't about mission. The argument isn't about salvation. The argument isn't about the essential things. The argument's about strategy. So it's a wisdom issue. It's an issue that the Bible doesn't clearly speak to. And I would argue from this text that both of them make valid points. And both of them are are acting in line with their gifting, with who God has made them to be, and their passions. Do we ever get passionate about things in the church? Yeah, we get passionate about a lot of things. I think if we're honest about it, we get passionate about things we probably shouldn't be passionate about sometimes. And we divide over things we shouldn't divide over. But in this case, they were passionate about a wisdom issue and passionate about strategy. But they both are making valid points. And actually, I believe God put them together so they would both hear each other's points and those would balance them out to make a better decision. Now in this case, they may have heard each other, but I'm not sure there was a lot of balancing. Yet. And we're going to find, as we look at some other passages, this is only act one of this particular story. And God isn't done with any of the parties yet. You know, I, I think about this uh, especially this about disagreeing and making valid points. Um, in in the last few years, especially, as boards, we've had a lot of interesting decisions to make. As we went through COVID and we went through lockdowns and different laws and and different things, there were just a lot of hard decisions to make. And whether you realize it or not, there often was disagreement on the boards. And And, and don't walk away and say, oh man, the boards hate each other. Because that wasn't it at all. It was the freedom for, for people to say, this is what I think, and this is what I believe. And the freedom for someone else to say, I love you, brother, I disagree with you. And, and then we, we spent hours hashing out some of those things and, and came to a consensus that we felt took all of the points of view in mind and that was best for the church. These were wisdom issues. These were not issues of faith. These were not issues of our salvation. These were not issues of denying God's word. But there was disagreement. And we had to learn how to navigate that. One of the things we value is, is differing, people being able to express their opinions on, on boards especially and in leadership teams. Because that is vital to making better decisions. In this case, Paul and Barnabas, they have a disagreement. They both have valid points. And they're struggling with how to share it with each other. And I can just picture it where it starts as a a discussion. And I can picture Barnabas coming to Paul and not even knowing he's stepping on a landmine. And and he comes because just who Barnabas is. He's like, let's take John Mark. He's growing. I think it's going to be good. And then he's blown away when Paul says, no way, like I said, and, and then they start to both share their sides and it escalates and neither will budge because both feel so strongly. And so then we come to the second half of 39 to 41. They separated. And, and that's a hard word to, to write there. That's a hard word to see. They separated and formed two teams because they could not come to an agreement. It's not really how I wanted the story to go. I would have written a better ending. But this is what happened. They separated and formed two teams because they could not come to an agreement. In 39b, so that they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. And so Barnabas says, you know what? I'm still going to take Mark. I believe we should. I believe in him. I believe he needs another chance. And he takes him to his hometown, home, home island. <laughs> And in verse 40, but Paul chose Silas. Remember, Silas had come up um, to Antioch from Jerusalem with him to give the verdict on the Jerusalem council. Paul spent a number of, of, uh, actually a lot of time with him by now and seen his character and seen that he would be a great asset for a missions trip. So Paul chose Silas and they departed, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. And so we see, however this transpired, the church was still behind them. And and this could have been just commending Paul and Silas. Most of the commentators that, that study this say it looks like they commended both parties and sent both parties out. And so however their disagreement happened, however strong it was behind closed doors, they were able to come to a resolution. And they separate, and, and it's it's of the sorts that the church is still okay with both of them. Because these are men of God. And in the struggle of the opinions and the struggle of the disagreement, I think cooler heads prevailed at the end and they said, you know what? We're we're not going to resolve this. Let's make two teams. And they made two teams. Paul took Silas. They went through Syria and Cilicia strengthening the churches. Just a quick map up here. Um, the red line, and I don't, I don't, I forgot to get my pointer today. The red line is the path of Barnabas and John Mark. So they go from Antioch in the upper right to the coast, get a boat, they go over to the island of Cyprus. And I zoomed in a little bit so you can see, bottom right off the screen is where Israel is. And then Paul and Silas, they go north. And they take the overland route this time, which we talked a little bit about a couple weeks ago. They take the overland route through the pass, they come to Tarsus, where, where Paul is from, and then they go on to visit the churches. Now what's interesting in this is in a, in a conflict, in a disagreement, that maybe I wish would have turned out differently, God still used that to make two teams instead of one. God in His sovereignty uses our weakness for His purposes. Now that's not an excuse for weakness and saying I'm just going to blow it so we'll see how God can use it. But God used this and he built two teams of of, of trusted men that went and encouraged churches and shared the gospel. We're going to find out a little later that John Mark was restored. John Mark was faithful to God's work. And Paul acknowledges that later. But really, Paul probably with his personality and where he was going, he probably would have been the wrong person to bring Barnabas along. Not Barnabas, sorry. Sorry. John Mark, maybe the wrong person to, to disciple him and take the time to help him grow. Personalities maybe just didn't fit. I don't know what God was doing, but he was working according to his plan. And so God in his sovereignty used the conflict to expand the work. Doesn't mean, like I said, the sharp disagreements are good, but he used it. So that's the story. Some of you think we're getting out 25 minutes early. But if you turn the page over on your notes, I just want to talk about some lessons about conflict that we get out of this. We're going to look at nine of them. Now you know we're not getting out early. Just nine quick thoughts and observations about conflict from this text, from other texts, from texts about these characters later. The first is we will have different opinions in the church and that's okay. We will have different opinions in the church. These two heroes are in sharp disagreement. And we have it in God's Word. I would even go as far to say passionate debate is okay and even healthy if we do it right. If we maintain respect, if we are listening to each other, if we are loving each other, if our motives are right, we're going to get to a lot of those things. We, we don't even know If they did this right at the end, I'm inferring a lot from the text. We don't know what happened behind closed doors. I don't know whether there was a slamming of the door and saying we're separating and going our separate ways, or if it was a a pleasing conversation where they're like, hey, let's do this. And I think the fact we don't know and aren't told should make us come to ask that question, what is the right way to resolve differences? But passionate debate is okay. It's iron sharpening iron. You know, one of the things that, that I talk a lot about in marriage and in marriage counseling is God gave a husband and wife to come together as one and they almost always have different opinions. Because if it was always the exact same opinion, someone isn't needed. But as we come together and listen to each other and truly understand each other, we make wiser decisions than either of us would alone. And that's what's happening here. We can still have unity while having different opinions. Unity of heart. Unity of purpose. Unity does not mean uniformity. We don't need everyone to wear the exact same thing. We don't need everyone to have the same opinion. We do need everyone to have unity in God's commands of loving each other and showing grace to each other. So how we do this is more important than the fact that we disagree. We will have different opinions in the church. Now, now I know sometimes um, we come into a church setting. We're like, we don't expect to have different opinions, and and that is sort of Satan setting up us up for a fall, because we are going to have different opinions, and and we should relish that and and learn from that and treat that well. And so, if I think about, okay, how do I? What's a question? And on each of these, I'm going to have a question that can help us put this into practice. Am I expecting everyone to agree with me? Do I come into a setting and expect everyone to agree with me? If so, then I'm not acknowledging that God gave us different opinions and different giftings and different personalities. Second lesson there. We need to refuse to create conflict or division over non-essentials. Refuse to create conflict or division over over non-essentials. As we look through scriptural principles, we need to learn to differentiate between the essentials of the faith, salvation issues, things that are clearly spelled out in scripture, and non-essential wisdom issues or gray areas. All kinds of words have been used for that, even in our constitution, in our doctrine. We have essential doctrine that we believe is clearly laid out in scripture. Every member must agree with that. We have distinctives that are things we recognize that godly men and women may disagree on. Interpret scripture differently. Now, we take a stand, but we recognize that that those that disagree love God just as much as we do. They aren't less than. And so we can be in fellowship with them. That's really what this point's about. We need to refuse to create conflict or division over non-essentials. And the wording I use there is to refuse to do it, to be adamantly opposed to conflict over these non-essential things. And again, it doesn't mean we don't disagree, but we don't let it elevate to conflict and we don't hold on to it at the expense of unity. Have you ever had a disagreement with someone and then you see them the next week? And you're like, I don't really want to talk to them. I'm going to sit on the side with the windows instead of the side of the Word because I don't want to talk to them. And we let it affect our spirit. And we let it affect our heart. And God is displeased. Because to do that over non-essential wisdom issues is sin. It's breaking the unity of God's church. Paul talks about this a number of places. One of the, one of the places that um, I thought of right away was 1 Corinthians 1. Where people are dividing. Well, I like Paul better. I like Apollos better. I, like, I don't know. And Paul says this, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, just in case you wanted some authority there, that all of you agree and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. And the word for agree there means to speak the same thing. Work it out. Find out what we have in common. Have the same message Stop dividing over, in that case, who they liked better, what communication style they liked better, who was funnier, who was cuter. I don't know what it was. But they're to, they're to not let there be any conflict or division over non-essentials. In Romans, as he's talking about things that cause people to stumble, things that could divide a church, things that are not essential, he basically says it's better to keep your mouth shut if you know it's going to cause division. Don't even share your opinion. That's how much of a commitment we should have to not creating conflict or division over non-essentials. It's different if someone is coming in and saying Jesus Christ isn't God or Lord or that we're not saved by faith through Jesus Christ. That's a whole different situation. But most of our arguments, if we're honest... Are about opinions and preferences. And so as, as we go through these conversations, it doesn't mean we can't discuss them, but we need to use some basic wisdom and observation to see how the conversation's going. If if I'm disagreeing with someone, if Brian and I are disagreeing and we're having fun talking about it, maybe it's it's nuances of, of Reformed theology or Calvinism or something, and we're just having fun, that's great. But as soon as either of us see it start to escalate and get personal, then we need to stop that because that's a non-essential discussion. And we need to to reaffirm that we are brothers in Christ. And so a question we can ask on this one is, will this issue matter long-term? And am I the one to correct the other person? Oftentimes we jump in where we shouldn't. And we create conflict and we create division when it wasn't needed. Three, and this goes to what we talked about in the text. Recognize that there doesn't always have to be a right and wrong opinion on the non-essential, not clearly defined in Scripture issues. Recognize that there doesn't always have to be a right and wrong opinion on these non-essential, not clearly defined in Scripture issues. Like I said, Paul and Barnabas both had opinions, very different opinions, but both had merit. And what's interesting is is the longer that I see conflict and the longer that I see us try to do these things, I think we are wired to see two sides to issues, my side and their side, the right side and the wrong side. And, and for whatever reason, I think because of the fall and because of our sin nature, we're wired to see things that way. And to the point that if I admit your side has merit, I might be admitting I'm wrong and we aren't going there. And so we, we, we always try to say there's a right and wrong. We can't say that we both might be right or there, there are things that we might learn from each other because that's hard and we want to be right. And I can remember a story I've told before um, probably four or five months after we were married. and um, we were bringing home an iron, because we had spilled wax all over the stage up here at our wedding, and, and you take an iron and a wet cloth, a wet towel, and you can iron it up. And um, we're getting out of the car at, at home, and um, one of us is handing the iron to the other, and we drop it and it breaks. And for, for newly married with not a lot of extra income, this is like a fate worse than death. And I can remember because we started blaming the other person. Well, it was your fault because you didn't... Well, it was your fault because you didn't... And we had to take sides and turn it into sides. And we finally looked at each other and just started laughing. Like, we don't need to do this. It was an accident. It fell. It happens but we we have such a propensity to take sides and we can do this with conflict. And I don't know if that's what was happening with Paul and Barnabas. We know they separated. But when we think through Scripture, this is something that we need to understand from this that they both had merit. They both needed to be heard. And so questions we can ask on this one is, am I looking down on or viewing the other person as wrong because they disagree with me? Have I left the door open that the opinion of my spirit-filled brother or sister in Christ might be good? Let me repeat that one. Have I left the door open that the opinion of my spirit-filled brother or sister in Christ might be good? And I intentionally say spirit-filled brother or sister in Christ. Because those are the deeper truths. Fourth lesson we learn. We need to genuinely hear and understand different opinions. Genuinely hear and understand different opinions. I put in there Proverbs eighteen seventeen, where it talks about the first to state his case seems right. And then you hear the other side. And there, there's just lessons here. I appreciate that Paul and Barnabas were able to state their opinion to each other. And they heard it. I think they understood it and it laid the groundwork for future reconciliation. We saw this in the last passage with the Jerusalem Council. They heard all sides. And so in both of these stories in Acts 15, we have this principle that we should genuinely hear and understand different opinions. It will bring clarity and perspective on the issue. And so the question we ask here is, do I understand before attempting to be understood? Do I understand before attempting to be understood and to win? When someone feels listened to and understood, it sets the groundwork for loving resolution instead of animosity and arguing. Number five, fifth lesson. This comes from Paul's point of view. Keep the main thing the main thing. We should continue God's work and not let disagreements stop or dishearten us. We should continue God's work and not let disagreements stop or dishearten us. You know, Paul and Barnabas, they couldn't resolve it, but they found a way to continue God's work. And this was Paul's argument, I think, all along. God's work is primary. We should, we should keep going with God's work. Nothing that will distract from that. And so they found a way to do, it, to do that. You know, a question we can ask on this is, am I holding on to something that's disrupting ministry? Am I holding on to an attitude, to an opinion that is disrupting ministry? If so, there's a good chance that that attitude or opinion isn't from God. Because God would not have us disrupt ministry. He would not have us disparage ministry. And so we should continue God's work and not let disagreements stop or dishearten us. Now keep in mind point number one. Disagreements are going to happen. And so to do this, we have to to show love and grace for each other. We have to realize that we're coming from different perspectives. We have to appreciate those perspectives and then say, how can we keep going on the main thing? How can we continue God's work? Because I love you, brother. I love you, sister. This cannot stop us. We see Paul addressing this in Philippians as he talks about Yodia and Syntyche, and he says, Stop it. It's my translation again. He says, Stop arguing about these. Do God's work together? These are petty things. And what he means by that is how they were going about it. Six, this lesson comes from Barnabas's perspective. Because I think we can learn from both. We are all at different places in the process of being formed into Christ's image. Show grace in truth and love. We are all at different places in the process of being formed into Christ's image. Show grace in truth and love. Anyone here have it all together in their Christian walk? Didn't even sin this last week. Maybe we're all a people that needs grace. And needs God's love. And I think this is Barnabas' argument. Let's show grace to him. Let's be a people of grace. God helps people grow. And I, I think one of the lessons out of this is mistakes do not, in general, certain mistakes might, but mistakes do not disqualify us. God uses jars of clay. How we come out of those mistakes and if there's repentance and confession and a renewed walk with God allows God to still use us as His tools. And so we want to be careful not to judge how someone was in the past. God is changing them. John Mark abandoned them. And to Paul it was wrong and it was detrimental to ministry. Probably for wrong reasons. But God is changing John Mark. And he's growing. And he's drawing closer to God. And, and so the, the, the lesson here from Barnabas is we need to see the good in people, see God's grace in people. Not to abandon truth, but, but see truth and love as we come together. See, when we hold on to things from the past and then judge people for those and, and close all doors to future ministry, well, I remember 10 years ago, when they were a teenager, they didn't come to one of our events. Okay, I'm being over the top. So they can't obviously help in any ministry now. It's 10 years later. God grows them. Here's, here's the beauty of this story. John Mark's story wasn't done. God's grace was growing him. The Holy Spirit was sanctifying him. Let me just read some verses. I think I've listed them out there if you want to read them on your own this week. Colossians 4.10 Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you. This is Paul writing, by the way. So Paul is writing, Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you. And Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have received instructions, if he comes to you, welcome him. In future years, we have Paul standing up for Mark, saying "He's, he's a good guy, welcome him. I'm commending him to you. Philemon 23 and 24. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends greetings to you. And so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. Man, this story has a redemption, redemption flair to it. Because now Paul is calling John Mark a fellow worker. It, it gets better. In 2 Timothy 4, this is near the end of Paul's life, he writes to Timothy, do your best to come to me soon. For Demas in love with this, this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia. Titus to Dalmatia. Luke alone is with me. And then this phrase, get Mark and bring him with you for he is very useful to me for ministry. I see two things there. I see great growth in Mark and great humility in Paul. He's willing to change his mind and say, I need him. He's useful for to me, for ministry. Remember, Paul's all about ministry, the main thing. And now he's saying, John Mark's part of that. He's useful. Peter writes, and, and Peter and John Mark were close. In fact, we think that John Mark, who by the way, wrote the Gospel of Mark, we think. So there's part of this redemption story here. And he writes it from Peter's perspective because they were close. In First Peter 5.13, Peter writes this, she who is at Babylon who is likewise chosen, sends you greetings, and so does Mark, my son. I like that phrase. (laughs) Peter loved Mark. Mark was his son in the faith. This is a story of a man who saw God's grace, and I think, starting with Barnabas' tutelage and discipling, became a powerful force for the gospel and the kingdom of God. That's got to be part of the story as we see the end of the story. And so questions we need to ask ourselves as we remember that we're all in process. Can I show grace and allow people second chances? Or once they've made a mistake, do I write them off? Can I show grace and allow people second chances, or once they 've made a mistake, I write them off let 's be people of grace. Lesson seven: God can sovereignly use even disagreements to further his work i 've already mentioned this, but this is just right out of the story. Two teams now are, are, are sent out instead of one. The work has doubled and and I think the reason that it that was able to happen is because Barnabas and and Paul were still committed to the ministry. They were committed to the main thing. They didn't get all hurt over it and stop ministry, but they said, okay, we, we can't agree on this. We're going separate ways, but we are going to have two teams and we are going to double the work of God. And so God can sovereignly use even disagreements to further his work. That changes how we come into disagreements in the church instead of being angry at each other, instead of putting each other down, maybe a question we can ask is, how's God going to use this? How's He trying to grow both of us? How's He trying to to help His ministry? Do I believe God will work even if everyone doesn't think like me? Now that's a hard one for me. Because you all should think like me. No, no, no. Do I believe God will work even if everyone doesn't think like me? I am not the center of God's work. His sovereignty is the center of His work. Or do I think ministry depends on doing it my way? And I think unfortunately we fall into that pretty easily. Lesson eight, check your own motives and heart. Check your own motives and heart. It's easy to accuse others of not having right motives. It's easy to accuse others of just wanting their own way. But it's also very easy for us to take the side of our friends, take the side of our family, to, to have all kinds of other motives that are coming into play. Romans 15.1, I think, speaks to this. Again, a passage dealing with disagreements. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. It's a simple verse, but it says, when you're, when you're in a disagreement, when you're working things out, make sure you're not just trying to please yourself. Make sure this isn't just your preference. You're not just trying to get your own way. And so we want to ask if our motives are Christ-like. Am I truly seeking the Holy Spirit? And finally, last point of handling conflict, well, our last lesson Sometimes disagreement strains relationships. Don't let it stay that way. Sometimes disagreement strains relationship. Don't let it stay that way. In our text, when it talks about a sharp disagreement, that is a strained relationship. They weren't close buddies at that point in time. But they didn't let it stay that way. These were close friends. Paul and Barnabas had spent a year on the road together. They, they've watched... Well, Barnabas has watched Paul get stoned. And they've had all these issues. And, and, and then they come to this point where they have a sharp disagreement and it strains their relationship. There's no question about it. But they didn't let it stay that way. In, in 1 Corinthians 9.6, written a little bit later, Paul writes, and he's, he's dealing with another issue but he's now talking with Barnabas, about Barnabas as a fellow worker again. Or is it only Barnabas and I who have no right to refrain from working for a living? And he's dealing with that, that, that pastors or missionaries should get paid and, and churches should support them. But now it's back to Barnabas and him. And there, there's, it's a simple verse, but look for these clues in Scripture that they've reconciled. Paul himself writes also to the church at Corinth, Finally, brothers, rejoice! Aim for restoration. Comfort one another. Agree with one another. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace will be with you. And so sometimes we'll have disagreements. Sometimes those might strain relationships. But how quickly do we run back into those to try to reconcile? That needs to be a commitment. Don't let it stay estranged. Don't let the conflict ruin a brother-sister-in-Christ relationship. Matthew five twenty-three and 24 brings us to a different level. Because here Jesus says, you're not only ruining your relationships with each other when you don't resolve it, you're hindering your worship. He says, so if you're offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and Go. First, be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. And he's dealing with do not murder. And he says, actually, let's think about your heart and don't be angry with each other. And he says, resolve things. In fact, resolve things before you worship. Do it that quickly. Go take care of it. And that takes humility, it takes grace takes listening and loving each other more than self. And if I was asking a question on this one, I'd say, am I losing relationships over how and how often I state my opinion? And then do I hold on to disagreements or frustrations with people? Nine quick lessons about conflict from an example of conflict we see. And an example of God still using that conflict for the kingdom. My prayer village is that we would be about God's mission. And nothing would stand in the way of that. And we would make sure we are showing grace and love to each other while we disagree. While we refine each other. While iron sharpens iron. Let's remember we're brothers and sisters in Christ. Let's pray. Lord God, thank You for Your Word. Lord, a lot of different thoughts today about conflict and disagreement and we know that you've made us all different you've given us different perspectives and different ways of seeing things help us to to appreciate that not just grudgingly hear it but understand and appreciate the differences that you've given us lord and lord help us to seek reconciliation help us to seek humility to seek your spirit as we deal with these wisdom issues as we deal with these non-essential issues And Lord, we we ask now that you not let Satan use those to divide our church in any way. That we would be dedicated to your work. That we would be dedicated to seeing your work, Lord God. Thank you for your word. May we be people of it. In your name, amen. Thank you.